0: Colossians chapter one, verse number nine. For this cause, we also, since today we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. Some weeks back, we began dealing here in this section with Paul's supplication. This is what I believe is one of the strongest, most purposeful prayers of intercession for God's people in the New Testament. Paul is praying for the Colossian believers. He's asking God for them in verse nine to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's asking God that they might be fruitful in verse number 10 be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's asking God that they might be favored with that glorious power so they can live amid the rigors of life without losing the joy and the gladness of God that comes along with serving a marvelous Savior. Then when we get to verse number 12, he is. uh, Now expressing his gratitude to God for what God has done for us in Christ. He is full of thanksgiving and gratitude in the close of this prayer. In fact, when we look at the conclusion of this prayer, if you and I would follow his pattern in prayer, Praying and in seeking God and in our experience. In other words, if you and I are indeed filled with the knowledge of His will, if we are living in verse number 10 a fruitful life, if we have obtained that favor of God's power to allow us to be patient and long suffering in joyfulness in the Christian life then you and I will become thankful and our perspective about life will be far better than it would be on the natural plane. So what I'm saying is if the first three facets of this prayer come into our experience in a practical way, then God will allow the outflowing of them to cause the grace of gratitude to burst forth in our heart. We realize that the only way any of this is even possible is because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. And so Paul thanks the Lord for what has been done in the past accomplishment of salvation. In verse 12, he said, giving thanks unto the Father which hath, that is a past tense, verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so he thanks God the father for the past accomplishment of Christ in salvation. And then not only does he thank God for the past accomplishment of salvation, he thanks God for the present position of salvation as well. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so the that gratitude is bursting forth from his heart. And so this prayer includes the gratitude and the adoration that he offers to God for the miracle of salvation. I want to say tonight that if you're here tonight and you're truly born of God, you are a recipient of the greatest miracle that has ever taken place in the human race. In fact, you are not here because that you made a decision sometime Salvation is more than just a little mental decision that a person makes. In fact, if you are here tonight and you're saved, you're saved because somebody proclaimed the Lord Jesus Christ unto you. Somebody brought the gospel to your heart and to your life. The power of the Holy Spirit was exerted on your heart and God drew you by his power to a place where your will would be unto God's will and you took Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Paul describes it in his preaching in Acts 26 when he said to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so God has uh, caused you and I to be the recipients of a miracle and that miracle is called salvation. Now I like the way the language is ordered here in this passage of scripture. Paul thanks God the Father here in verse number 12 for the fitness that God has brought to us and the fullness that Christ has given to us. And then in verse 13 he thanks God for the exit that we have made. The Bible said he's delivered us from the power of darkness and he's trying translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Not only the exit that we have made, but the entrance that we have made through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he thanks God for the fitness that Christ has provided and the fullness that he's brought to us. He thanks him for the exit that we made out of darkness and the entrance that we have made into the kingdom of his dear son. And then he also thanks him for the purchase of his own redemption by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the purity that the blood of Christ really brings to our heart. I'm glad tonight that the blood of Christ has come to unbelieving sinners and it's washed us, hallelujah. And so you and I cannot say that God has made a parcel in stone on our soul. Oh no, but thank God he has purchased us by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's look at it here in your Bible. Look down, if you will, in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. First of all, the Bible said he made us. He made us. So Paul is thanking God for the fitness which God has provided through Christ. To be made meet the word "meat" means to be made fit. That is, you and I have been made fit to be his. in our natural state, we were not fit to be his. In fact, we were not fit for heaven. We were fit for hell, and but thank God, he has made us fit. We're not fit because of our fallen condition. You and I are totally lost without God. We are sinful and we are depraved and we cannot save ourselves. Listen, friend, if you think there's one good thing in you, And you are absolutely mistaken unless that one good thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not fit because of our fallen condition. And we're not fit because of any merit that we might suppose that we can gain before God. Oh, but God has brought a fitness to us so we can be His. Now I want to say in Adam we're unfit to be a partaker in the inheritance that God has provided. In fact, the Bible Bible testifies that you and I are not fit because we are sinners in the sight of God. There's not one of us that can say here tonight, "No, preacher, I'm not a sinner like you are. I, I'm not a sinner like he is. I, I'm not a sinner like she is." I've heard people compare themselves. I heard about a lady after D.L. Moody preached about being sinful and lost. And she came up to him. He had preached that night on there is no difference. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And she came up and she had her glasses on a stick. And she looked at Mr. Moody and she said, Mr. Moody, are you saying that I'm just like everybody else? He said, ma'am, I was not saying there is no room for comparison between you and somebody else. I'm simply saying there's no difference. That you and I are all sinners in the sight of a holy and a righteous God. That we're complete, a complete failure in the sight of God. And even though we were sinners, hallelujah, he has saved us. And made us fear. Not only that the Bible teaches that you and I not only are sinners, but we are enemies in the sight of a holy God. Now I want to say tonight, you and I are not God's friends. In fact, we are, the Bible teaches us, uh, enemies to God outside of Christ. We are enemies in the sight of God. Romans chapter five, verse 10. Though we were sinners, uh, he has saved us. Uh, though we were enemies, corrupt uh, in our folly of sin, thank God he has come to us as enemies. Uh, and the Bible said he has reconciled us to God. Oh, the Bible teaches you and I, are strangers and aliens uh, to Jesus. Jesus Christ. In fact, though we are strangers and aliens, Ephesians 2 said we have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. There's not one thing that you can do to make yourself fit in the sight of God, but to come to Jesus Christ and that fitness comes in Jesus Christ. And though we were rebels and had stacked up our rebellion against him in Romans chapter five, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible said you and I are not fit outside of him, but were made fit because of him. Then secondly, not only is there the fitness that we have been made through what Christ has done, the fitness God has brought to us because of what Christ has done. But then there's the fullness that Christ has brought as well. The Bible said, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." a tremendous subject in God's precious Word. Through Jesus Christ, believing sinners have become children through the power of the new birth. You and I have become God's children through the power of the new birth. Not only that, you and I, through that new birth, have become partakers of an inheritance that God has provided in Christ. Uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 17, talks about this inheritance. Uh, In fact, Paul speaks about the inheritance we have in Christ uh, more than anyone else in the New Testament. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, uh, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And so God has brought you and I because of our salvation into an inheritance. He has provided an inheritance for you and I, the scripture said in 1 Peter chapter one, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. You see, because we have come to Christ, you and I, because of the position of our sonship, we have the privilege of airship in Christ. And I thank the Lord for this great declaration. Now Christ is the Son of God in almighty fullness. He is the Son of God. I am a Son of God. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I am God's son because of the new birth. Christ did not have to be made a son, but I had to be made a son of God. And I'm thankful now that though Christ is God's son in almighty fullness, that I am God's son because of his all sufficient forgiveness. You see, it's forgiveness and the power of the new birth that has brought me into the family of God. This is what Paul said in Titus 3, 7. That being justified by grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, you and I that are saved are not only just sons of God. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And the Bible declares that you and I have a glorious inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, there were a couple of hobos down near the train depot station sitting in the edge of the woods. And one of them was crying profusely. And he He cried and he cried and the other hobo looked over him and said, what's wrong with you? He said, haven't you heard? He said, no. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, John D. Rockefeller died today. He said, why are you crying? Were you kin to him? He said, no, that's why I'm crying. I'm not kin to him. No, I want to tell you, though, there has been one that has died and has risen again from the grave and is far more wealthy than John D. Rockefeller. And I've got good news for you tonight. You and I that are saved are kin to him. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah to God because there's a Savior who's died and rose again. And you and I are heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Albert Barnes said this is an honor infinitely higher than to be heir to the most princely earthly inheritance or than the adopted son of the most magnificent earthly monarch That is, listen, you could be Bill Gates heir, you could be Jeff Bezos heir, and you would relatively be a pauper compared to the least child of God that is sitting here tonight. Oh, you say, preach, I've dreamed of being a millionaire. Quit dreaming. You've got far more than any millionaire has ever had. Oh, in Christ, you and I are heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible said about Christ that God has appointed Him in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 2, to be heir of all things. That is, Christ is heir of all things. And if Jesus is heir of all things, and you're his joint heir, that means you got it all. Oh, I say hallelujah. I heard about an old fellow that was a gardener for a very wealthy man, and this man had a beloved son, and that beloved son went off to the Vietnam War. And while he was away, he got killed in that war. And his dad commissioned a, a special painting to be made by a very well noted local artist. And it came time when the old father died, and the estate was about to be auctioned off, and everything was about to be sold at auction that day. And that day, as the auction began, the auctioneer began by auctioning off that famous painting that was the likeness of his own son. And they began the bidding, and some of the people that were there were there because the man was the collector of fine art. They wanted him to start off with those pieces that, that were the finest pieces in the man's collection. He started off rather with, with the portrait of the likeness of the man's own son and the gardener who was there who had who had loved that son and loved that father began to bid and, uh, and the portrait didn't sell for very much uh, and as soon as the auctioneer closed uh, the bidding on that portrait the auctioneer struck a gavel on the podium that day. He said, this auction is closed. And they began to murmur. They said, what in the world? What is going on? He said, I've been given special instructions. He said that whosoever got the son, they got the whole estate. And he said, the gardener gets the portrait of the son. And not only that, he gets the whole estate. I've got news for you child of God. If you've got Jesus, you've got it all. I say hallelujah. Don't feel sorry for me, I, glory to God, I've got it all, amen. Well, I say hallelujah, you and I have an inheritance that is in Christ. The Bible said, reserved in heaven for you. Jesus told us in Revelation 21:7, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son, When I look at this passage of scripture, I'm so thankful tonight that God has reserved for us, you and I in Christ, hallelujah, a wonderful inheritance, amen. So I thank the Lord for the fitness that God has brought to us in Christ. Not only that, I thank God for the fullness that he's brought to us in Christ and the inheritance that he's given us what the Bible said in Colossians chapter one, that God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now in the passage, you've noticed here in the scripture, there's two realms. The expressions here in this passage is there's darkness and there's light. There's the kingdom of his dear son and implied the opposite of that. Where we came out of is the kingdom of Satan himself. You know that you and I came out of darkness. That's the realm we came from. By the way, I still believe that salvation brings a transfer and a transformation. If God doesn't bring you out of something and bring you into something else, if God doesn't make a transfer and make a transformation, something is missing somewhere. Thank God he brings us out of Satan's kingdom. And the scripture said that he has brought us into an inheritance with the saints in life. Now if our inheritance is waiting for us there and reserved in heaven, then that place he's referring to is the place where the Lamb of God lights that city. Oh, I say bless his name. Thank God there's a place where I'm headed to, beyond the sunset, where the S-U-N never shines, but the S-O-N always shines. I'm glad I've been made fit through Christ. I'm glad I've been given fullness through the power of this inheritance. I've been favored to have a future that is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible said he hath made us. Verse 12, then the scripture said, who hath delivered us, from the power of darkness, and that translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That is, salvation always brings us from here to there. That brings about a change in the life who delivered us from the power of darkness. And when you see someone and they're still living in darkness and walking in darkness and practicing darkness, you have to ask, what did you get saved from? What really did God really save you from? What did he bring you into if you're claiming that now you're living in a different way, living in a different realm? And so first of all, Paul is pleased to tell us about our exit delivered from the power of darkness. That is, this is where God has brought us from. He has brought us from the power of darkness. He is talking not only about a realm, but also about a domain that we lived in as unbelievers because of the fall. We were living under the power of darkness. We walked according to the course of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 said, and we walked in the darkness. Ephesians 5 8 said, we were darkness. But hallelujah, now we're light in the Lord. I live in the darkness. In fact, the Bible said in John 3 19, the reason why we wouldn't come out is because we love the darkness. And we lived in the darkness. We loved the darkness. And we lingered in the darkness. And we groped along in the darkness until the day Satan was trying to find an opportunity to take us from this world so we could live in outer darkness. Oh, but hallelujah. Somebody stepped in on my behalf and by the power of Christ, I got out of darkness and got into God's marvelous light. So you and I that are saved are taken out of Satan's diabolical dominion and we're no longer subject to his power. Now, if I fail the Lord, it is not because God has not provided strength and power in me that is greater than the pressure on the outside of me. In fact, the Bible said, neither give place to the devil. The Bible said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if I fail the Lord, it must be that I have submitted to Satan's power on the outside of me or to the influence of my flesh that is always with me. Christ's deliverance has provided an exit from the power of darkness and an entrance into the kingdom of God's dear son, taken out of this power and authority and realm of Satan, brought into the kingdom of his dear son. You say, Do you understand it all? No, but I sure do believe it. Hallelujah. So, through the miracle of salvation, God has broken Satan's rulership over our life. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. God has snatched you out from Satan's hands, he has taken you from Satan's prison. He has taken you out from his rulership and the power of darkness. He has taken you out from his realm. You're no longer Satan's child anymore. You don't have to live under the power of darkness because God has taken you out now. And through the power of God, the Bible said, Peter said, he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God has not only provided for our exit But the scripture said, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath what? What's that word? The Bible said, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us. Now, this is an amazing thing that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son." Salvation is from sin unto God, from darkness unto light, from Satan, our adversary, to the Savior, our advocate. Now listen carefully. The Bible lets us know about our entrance now. To translate something is to convey that from one place to another. When the Babylonians conquered the Israelites' In the southern kingdom of Israel, they took those conquered citizens and translated them from Israel and took them all the way to Babylon. That's what happened in those days when a conquered territory or country was taken over. Many times the conquering army would take the citizens unto the other land. Make them their subjects. When the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, they translated the Israelites from their land unto the land of the ones they would be serving. Now, translation is a very important term here in the scripture. Now, I love the English term because it conveys it completely. As soon as you compare it, scripture with scripture, It's fully conveyed that God has taken us out of one realm and placed us into another. Now, the Bible said about Enoch in his exit from this world, in Hebrews 11, the Bible said he was translated. Now, what does it mean? Same thing it means here. It means he was taken out of this world and placed in another world. You and I are taken out of Satan's doomed kingdom. Listen, you're not a loser. You don't have to let the devil tell you you're a loser. You'll always be a loser. You'll be a loser all your life. No, you're not a loser. If you're saved, hallelujah, you are more than a conqueror. To him that loves you, hallelujah. You're taken out of Satan's doomed kingdom into the divine kingdom of the Son. In fact, the Bible calls it the kingdom of Of his dear son. Our new state is summarized in Colossians 3. Now look at it with me for just a second. I'm moving quickly. Are you with me now? Colossians 3 and verse 3. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's where you are. Hid with Christ in God. That's where you are. And that's where God sees you. God sees you now, hid with Christ in God. That's where you are. So the Lord has translated you now. So we know thus far that God has not only made us and he has given us fitness and fullness by him, that God has given us an exit from the realm and power of darkness and an entrance into the kingdom of his dear son. But then the Bible also teaches us here in the scripture he has translated us. And then finally in verse number 14, the Bible said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Every time I read this word redemption, a lot of things begin to race through the freeway of my mind. But I always go back to that Old Testament illustration Hosea and Gomer, about one who had definitely thrown away any right to be loved or to be cared for or to be sought after. And yet there came a day when somehow in the deep recesses of Hosea's heart, he was stirred to go down there to the slave market. Standing in the back of the room, he looked and saw the wife that he had taken to be his own, to love and the cherished who had played the harlot. By right of the law, he had every reason to have the highest penalty inflicted upon her. And yet he went there so that he might express a love that actually baffles the human mind today. He went there not only because he loved her, but he went there because he intended on purchasing her At the high price that was asked for her. And here you and I are standing in the same place as Gomer, who had definitely defied God, defiled everything to do with purity and holiness. Oh, but thank God he sent a Redeemer to the slave market of sin where you and I were. And we were not worth very much, but he was willing to pay the full price of his own blood and die on that old rugged cross. So you and I could be born of God. I say hallelujah. What a savior, amen. The Bible said in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. To me, there seems to be no sweeter words concerning the sum total of our salvation than the words redemption and blood and forgiveness. Redemption and blood and forgiveness. I think in my mind's eye, if I stood there just peering at one of those pure pearl gates, if a traveler from inside said, Pilgrim, what right do you have to come in to this city? I'd have to say redemption and blood and forgiveness. What right traveler do you have to enter into this city where the Lamb of God is worshiped day and night. Oh, the Lamb of God came from glory and purchased my redemption by his blood. I obtained his forgiveness through the power of the new birth. The only right I have to the city of God is I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, tonight you and I ought to go back for just a minute and understand. Now, I do believe it's important for us to understand what the Bible is saying. Look in your Bible, if you will, in Romans chapter number 3. I like to give you this because I believe it's important and because it is foundational sound doctrine. Romans chapter 3, it's important for you and I to understand the very truth of redemption that is portrayed in the Bible. Redemption is the purchase of something back that had been lost by God. The payment of a ransom. Read with me in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen very carefully and read the context. Because this, as you will see, will be very evident as we go through it. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now let me say it again, what is redemption? Redemption is the purchase of something back that had been lost by the payment of a ransom. Redemption is based upon the payment of Christ's blood for our sins. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption is in Christ Jesus. Read on. Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. So redemption is based upon the payment of Christ's blood for our sins. The payment of Christ's blood became the propitiation that satisfied God's justice entirely. That is, you cannot be redeemed without the payment of Christ's blood for your sins. That the blood of Christ became the propitiation, or if we can say it in this way, the satisfaction of God's just demands that provided the remission of our sins. The Bible says it so in verse 25. Now, all of these are stacked together. Listen very carefully. Redemption, propitiation, now remission. Remission is the giving up of punishment due to a crime. Now, God cannot just pardon you without the penalty being satisfied. That is not how God saves you. God did not save you merely based on his tenderhearted clemency. No. How did God extend to you redemption and remission? He did it on the basis of the propitiation of his son's blood. God said that you're going to have to be bought back because you are lost. Adam lost the inheritance of mankind in the garden. And man is corrupt and sinful and fallen, but God sent a Savior to come to this world to be our Redeemer. The Savior came and shed his blood that satisfied God completely and his just demands. And now God can say, no more punishment, no more penalty. Why? Your sins have been remitted by God and you're no longer guilty in his sight, but you're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that you and I can say by his purchase and because of his purchase that the Bible said in Colossians chapter one, in whom we have redemption. That is now I can say redemption is a present possession of mine. So he's redeemed us, that's his purchase. Secondly, the Bible says in whom we have redemption, through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, man's ideas about forgiveness are fatal and flawed. God's ideas about forgiveness are freeing and wonderful. Now, you say, preacher, well, as I understand it, the Lord has forgiven all my sins up to the day I got saved. That's an idea you dreamed up in your mind or somebody shared with you. God does not save us on the basis of the fact that we believe he saved us up to the record of the day we called on him. That sounds to some like a good idea, but most of those people also believe that somehow they gotta keep up the ledger in order to go to heaven. And I got news for you tonight. The Bible said here in this verse, and in another we shall read in just a moment, even the forgiveness of sins. We deal with our sins in this way. He forgave my past sins. All of your sins were future when Jesus died. But I believe this tonight. I believe he forgave all your sins, past, present, and future. You say, how do you believe that? Or why do you believe that? I believe it because of what the Bible said. And right here in this book of Colossians in chapter two and verse 13 the Bible said in you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you. What's that little word? A-double-L. All trespasses. All trespasses. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Many people struggle with their past life. I'm thankful if you don't have any battles with any of that in your mind at all. Any struggles about things past. I remember very vividly the first year that I was saved. I lived in what seemed like to be a mental war zone. There was not a week that passed in my life. The devil didn't take me down some trail, something that I had done before I met Christ. Many oftentimes as just a young, naive, and uneducated convert in the scriptures, Satan would say to me, you remember that? Which I'd usually shortly say in my own mind and heart, I remember it all too well. He'd say to my mind and heart, how could God love somebody? who has done such things as you. And in my own ignorance, sometimes I literally agreed with him. I would say, I don't really know. I don't understand how he could. And yet through the power of God's word, I learned that Jesus Christ had paid for all of my sins and that I could have blessed assurance in knowing that not only had he loved me, but also he had forgiven me. And the price of that pure, precious forgiveness was his own sinless blood. I'm so thankful that he has forgiven me of all trespasses. These are the things that Paul says he's thankful for. I'm thankful for these things. I would say that if we cannot be thankful for what Christ has done for us, is there any basis to be thankful for anything else? But every good thing that God has done for us will take us back to the place where we first met the Lord and understand what Jesus and his blood has done for us. And you say tonight, preacher, is that what he's done for me? That's what he's done for every man, woman, boy, and girl at Calvary. And he's made all these wonderful things available. Four tremendous propositions in this passage that Paul says, I'm thankful for. Four tremendous propositions. He said, I'm thankful for. And the last of all is redemption. That God would purchase you and I with the blood of his own son. That's an amazing thing. Let's stand with our heads bowed tonight.